Hey, Bridgetown Church and all of you listening, John Mark Comer here. You are not listening to a Bridgetown Church online gathering. You are listening to a one-off interview with a very special guest. Joshua Becker is here all the way from the sun of Arizona. Hello, Joshua. Great to have you with us. Oh, it is my pleasure. I hear such amazing things about you and your church. Thank you for the invitation. No, it's such an honor to have you on the podcast. For those of you that are new to Joshua Becker and his work, he is the founder of BecomingMinimalist.com, one of the first ever kind of blogging websites on minimalism. I think 12 years ago you started. I think you were the first website to utilize the, the moniker of minimalist. He's also the author of The More of Less, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own, which is on our recommended reading for the Simplicity Practice. And we've been kind of turning that book around for the last year or two. And then just recently, I just read it a few weeks ago, just came out, The Minimalist Home, A Room-by-Room Guide to a Decluttered, Refocused Life, as well as a number of eBooks. I think you started with eBooks, with your blog and then eBooks before kind of, we actually share a publisher, but before that, I think of your book, Clutter-Free with Kids, which I want to talk about later. How in the world do you do any of this if you have children? Joshua, you are a bit of a legend, and we're so happy to have you on our podcast. You know, I think of you as kind of one of the founders of minimalism, the most recent iteration of a very ancient kind of worldview inside the way of Jesus and outside of it. And one of the things I love about you is you are a follower of Jesus, but you don't write for the church per se. You write for a general market audience. And, you know, you talk about your faith in a very open way and call Jesus the original minimalist. But yet you make it really open and accessible to people kind of across the faith spectrum, which is great. So I guess I just want to ask you, how did you come into the conversation that we're about to have? What's the brief kind of abbreviated autobiography, and I know that people, if they want to know more, can read the more of less or your blog, or I'm sure you tell that story on a regular basis, but would you just give us, and I'm sure you're a little tired of it, but would you give us kind of the abbreviated version of how you kind of got started on the journey you're on? You know what? You would think after 12 years, I would be tired of telling the story, but I I honestly am not. I, I, I love it. I think there's so much life to be found in it. Um, and yeah. so I, I, I always kind of appreciate getting to start there, actually. So thanks for the question. Um, yeah, it could be found plenty of different places. I can give you the, the short version. I was living in Vermont. Uh, it was 12 years ago. My son was five and my daughter was two. Uh, my wife and I woke up to do our spring cleaning on the Memorial Day weekend on a Saturday morning. I offered to clean out the garage thought for sure my five-year-old son would enjoy the time with his father, uh, which lasted about 12 seconds. And he was in the back. <laughs> five-year-old cleaning the garage. <laughs> yep. Not his idea yep. of a good time. Shocking. He was he was in the back uh, playing with his things. I'm working on the garage. Uh, one thing leads to another. Hours later, I'm still working on the garage. Uh, my son's rushing up about every 20 minutes to see if I'm done. I just keep pushing him off. Uh, I happened to have a conversation with my neighbor uh, who was doing all of her yard work at the time, uh, and we started complaining uh, together about how much effort had gone into our morning's uh, chores. And she says, um, she really changed my life with one sentence. She said, you know, that's why my daughter is a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. 
And I looked at my driveway, and here's this pile of dirty, dusty things I've been organizing and cleaning and hosing off. And I would have said, like anyone else would say, that I'm not looking for happiness in my possessions, and I knew my things weren't making me happy, uh, yada, yada. But out of the corner of my eye, I see my five-year-old son swinging alone on the swing set in the backyard where he had been all morning long waiting for me to come play with him. Hmm. And suddenly I had this further realization that not only were my things not making me happy, but my things were actually taking me away from the very thing that did bring me happiness in life. And mm. not just happiness, but joy and meaning and purpose and significance and fulfillment. And I, I think it's a very different realization. It is one thing to say our possessions aren't making us happy, but it's something very different the moment we realize that all the things we've accumulated are actually taking us away from the life we wish we were living instead. Um, and so that that started. It was about a 30-second conversation and changed my life dramatically. Wow. Um, you know, I remember that shift in my own heart and the wake-up call it was, which is interesting because I grew up in the church and have been reading the New Testament as long as I can remember. And Jesus has long said that very thing kind of the pole star scripture or teaching from Jesus for our series and practice is his line in Luke 12, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But, you know, I did not come to actually believe that in all honesty, to trust that as a true statement about reality until, I don't know, five years ago or something like that. And ironically for me, it wasn't through the New Testament or church, it was through kind of the minimalism blogger world that you started. And talk to me about that. Like you grew up in the church, you were a pastor, I'm guessing you went to, I don't know, Bible college or seminary or something like that, maybe not. And yep. yet it took a neighbor using a kind of, you know, hashtag kind of word to introduce you to this concept, which is a part of the Jesus tradition for thousands of years. Like, what? why do you think that was that it had to come, at least in your experience, from outside the church? Well, I don't think uh, you can possibly discount God's timing in all of that. Um, and um, some people will They'll be like, hey, I can't get my husband on board with minimalism, you know, and I'm like, well, maybe like maybe God's doing something different in his life. Like maybe he's being challenged in, in some other way. So um, certainly I think right. God had been moving me forward in my faith um, through all those years and in my in my walk with him. But as I look back at my experience and the, the exact same one that you had in many ways, I, I tried to think. Like, what was it? I mean, I, I had 30 some years of messages in the church about overcoming consumerism and, uh, and, and material possessions and giving and gener and like over and over and over again. And um, I, I don't know what it was for sure, other than I think maybe one thing was every time I heard a, a pastor, a, a teacher talk about getting rid of material possessions overcoming consumerism and materialism it was always from a like a negative vantage point like 
Don't be materialistic for all these different reasons. And I don't know if I ever heard a pastor stand up and say, and let me explain to you all the positive life changes, all the positive benefits that will come to you when you actually begin living out what Jesus said. I just don't ever recall hearing that message. And certainly my neighbor didn't go into that much detail. Um, but one thing I've always done when I when I write about owning less is always take that side of the conversation, where certainly there's a lot to be said about what we're doing to the environment and, and, and what we're doing to the world and what we're doing to ourselves. But um, I think people respond better just to the Hey, think about how your life will improve if you own less, more money and more time and more focus and more energy and uh, more ability to to live the life that you you want to be living instead. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I was the same for so many years. That's very well said in that I thought Jesus' teachings on money were right, like at a ethical or theological level, but they did not sound like a happy way to live, you know, which I, I recognize how ridiculous that statement is. And, but, you know, I mean, Jesus himself said it's more blessed or like the most literal translation of the Greek is, you know, it's happier to give than it is to receive. And, and so it comes as no surprise what you're saying, but yeah, somehow the message came not only to me, but through me, I take full responsibility as a pastor and as a teacher, that, that kind of positive life message was not a part of my like inner experience of Jesus teachings on money. Yeah, it was for me, I think it was one of two things. It was always like, um, uh, sell your possessions and come follow me and you'll have treasures in heaven. And if you have two tunics, give away one, John the Baptist. And um, it was like this great test of faith. I always thought where like, oh man, I wish I could become that faithful. I wish I loved God that much that I could give away all these extra things. So like, it was this test of faith or it was okay, I get it. I can give away all my stuff and I'll have treasures in heaven, but man, it's sure going to be a crummy way to live here exactly. on earth. And I, I just yes. couldn't get to the point where I, I wanted to give that up. But like, like you said, like we don't do that with anything else that Jesus said, right? I mean, don't gossip and don't <laughs> commit sexual immorality and don't hate other people because those are crummy ways to live. Uh, for some reason, I probably just because of the culture and society and world that we live in. Uh, but this whole idea that that life would actually be better if I owned fewer things is is tough for people to to see until that light bulb moment um, happens, yeah. however that may be. And that really does show just how deep materialism is in kind of the ethos of our worldview as Western late modern American kind of people. What were some of the unexpected kind of benefits, like just to use full on honest down to earth language, like that you came into when you started to minimize your life, pare down your things. I think you started by cleaning out your car and then your garage and you started to kind of de-own in your own language, which I love. Very middle class language, but I, I think it's, I'm a middle class dude. So that sounded great to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. You know, like what were some of the unexpected benefits of that initial journey for you? Well, I think there are the like the very the surface ones that most people could picture. Um, and usually when I, when I speak, I'll always ask this question and no one struggles to come up with an answer as to how their life will improve if they own less stuff. Like, 
oh gosh, less time cleaning, which means I have more time for things that matter. Obviously, this is going to have pretty significant financial implications on my life if I'm not buying right. things uh, going forward. Um, less stress. Uh, Randy Elkhorn says it so well. So well. He says, um, every increased possession adds increased anxiety onto our lives, uh, which is so true. Hmm. Um, yes. He's a Portlander. Uh, I, I well, think- not in Portland, but he's he's about 30 minutes from here, longtime friend, and his work on, on biblical theology of money and generosity is just stunning. Uh, indeed, one of the most uh, money possessions in eternity, one of the most um, influential books in, in my life, and even uh, in my understanding of uh, minimalism. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Certainly, I, you know, I think of the example I set for my kids, uh, the benefit for the environment. Um, you can go on and on. But really, maybe the, the greater benefits were some of the, um, the heart reorienting that began to take place. Um, as I started to own less and I, I suddenly found that, that contentment was, was much closer than I thought before. Um, I, I found more opportunity for, for gratitude and generosity. I even found that I began questioning my, my values. Um, wow. It, it came up, it came up pretty early in, in our decluttering and minimizing as we began going through our home. I I just remember making a blog post and I said, I am shocked at, as I minimize possessions, how many like heart questions and questions of values and what do I want my life to stand for? And what do I want my life to be about? And what is important to me? Um, began to emerge. And um, a friend of mine actually uh, commented on the blog after I was writing that post. And he just says, it seems to me that minimalism would force questions of values upon you. Um, And I said, that is exactly what is happening. Like I am being forced to decide what do I want to accomplish with my life? What do I need in order to do that? And what are all the other things I've accumulated that are just keeping me from becoming who I want to be and who God wants me to be and what he wants me to do with my life? Man, that's so good. I used your definition of minimalism um, for our Simplicity series a few weeks ago, which in your book I'm reading here is the intentional promotion of things we most value and the removal that anything... uh, removal of anything that distracts us from them. And, you know, one of the things I love about your writing and your work and your perspective is your high um, value, not just for kind of values, but for purpose and intentionality. It's almost like a more intelligent way to live. I don't mean that in a snobbish way, but um, maybe a more thoughtful way to live, a more intentional way to live, a more kind of vision and values-based way to populate your home or depopulate your home or apartment or car or office or life. So talk to us about the role that purpose plays in your kind of method and your view of minimalism and de-owning. Uh, it was uh, pretty early on when I started blogging, um, early enough that anybody who linked to my website, I noticed because it sent over one click and it showed up on my on my stats dashboard. Uh, but I remember pretty, pretty early on, someone linked over to Becoming Minimalist and um, 
And they said on their blog, they said, I like the way Joshua talks about minimalism. It seems so rational. <laughs> and uh, I thought to myself, yes, like that is yeah. it. Exactly. Which is great because is... so many people view it as like this radical, crazy, just for the super fringe people. But when, yeah. when you read your work, it sounds so rational and reasonable. And yeah, of course. Why would I own all this extra stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And, and super very extreme. Uh, back then, I think people were living with like 10 things and 12 things. And, um, and I'm like, I, that, I've never, I was never drawn to that. Um, I, and I, I just remember thinking, yes, that is like, that's exactly what I'm trying to live out. How do I do this in a thoughtful way? Uh, knowing that minimalism is going to look different for me than it's going to look different for anyone else. Um, knowing that my greatest goal in life is not to own the fewest amount of things as possible. Like, that's not what I want to be known for. Uh, that's not what I want to accomplish. I, I want to love my family. I want to be a, a faithful husband. I want to serve God. I want to uh, accomplish what he's laid out for me to do with my life. Um, and so what do I need to own in order to get there? And then that really shaped our, our view of minimalism as, as a, like a, what is my purpose? Uh, what do I need in order to get there? When I wrote the minimalist home, uh, my editor, uh, Eric Stanford, who's a, a genius by the way. Um, and I praise him whenever I can. Um, the, the book was going to be called the minimalist home. And he said to me one time, he said, Hey, Joshua, have you ever thought about what is the purpose of home? And, and I remember thinking, mm, great no, but that, but that makes pretty good sense. If I'm going to write a book called The Minimalist <laughs> Home, what is the purpose of home in the first place? And um, look, like most people think of home as it's rest, it's safety, it's security, it's love, it's acceptance, right? Like all the things that we think about that make a, a healthy home um, and all the homes that we want to create for our children and um, homes that we wish we had or, or did have when we were growing up. Um, but home is more than that. Like home isn't um, just where we go to rest forever, at, at least while we're on earth. We go home to find rest and security and safety. Why? So that we can go out into the world and live our best life doing the most good for the most amount of people. Like this is what home should be. And so how do we create a space that is restful and calming, um, but also helps us launch out into the world um, to live our best life? And which you know, might look like the children that you raise inside the home, but you, you get what I'm, uh, you get what I'm saying there. Um, and then all throughout the minimalist home, I just keep going back to that, that idea of, Hey, our life has a purpose. Our homes have a purpose. Each of the rooms in our homes should serve a purpose. What's the purpose of the bedroom? What's the purpose of the kitchen? What's the purpose of the living room? What are the th objects? What are the physical possessions that we need in that area? Uh, to help that area uh, accomplish its purpose in our lives uh, so that we can live our best lives um, for those who need it most. Yeah, well, props to your editor. You know, I've read 20 plus books on minimalism over the last couple of years. And when I read The Minimalist Home a few weeks ago or a month or two ago, 
I was really struck by that very question. You at one point say, what's the, you have to go through each room of your house and say, not just the home, but each room, what's the purpose of this room? And then I think you have a follow-up question. What culture am I trying to create in the living room or the kitchen or the bedroom, you know? And I, I think that that really appeals to me because it, it's a, it's an intelligent and and kind of insightful and intentional way to approach you know your life as a whole and your home. So, on that note, I mean, let's where do where do you recommend people start? Let's say somebody is listening, and we have people who are across the socioeconomic spectrum. But let's say you're listening and you have an apartment or a home. And however many things you have, however much money you have, whether they're expensive things or hand-me-downs, you just have this sense of, man, my life is over full, my home or closet or kitchen, or I have multiple pairs of sheets or towels that, you know, don't match and I have way more than I need or whatever it is. It can, I would imagine for people to start from the beginning and depending on what your personality type is, it would be really easy just to feel overwhelmed and and stop before you even start and just shut down at the sheer kind of emotional challenge of kind of minimizing or simplifying whatever language you prefer your home. Where do you recommend people start? Is that what you kind of call the Becker method or how would you kind of coach and coax somebody into Here's how you start. Here's baby steps, as Bill Murray would say back in the '80s. Here's some kind of beginning moves. Yeah, there are uh, there are a handful of people who can rent the dumpster and throw everything away um, over a weekend, but it's a, a pretty small number of people. Uh, most people right. need a little more time. I, I need a little more time. Um, our family needed a little more time to go through things. Um, I, I actually break our our time frames into to three timeframes. We, it took about three months to get through like the lived in areas of the home, kitchen, living room, Mm -hmm. bedroom, those types of spaces. Uh, it took us nine months. If you want to count garage and basement, there was a shed in the backyard. Um, and then we actually moved to a smaller home uh, about three years later and got rid of even more things. So the overnight process doesn't happen, um, for a lot of people. And I don't know if you found this, but when I when I started on the journey, it was the same thing. It took us months and months and months to kind of get through everything. I think we started with our closets, like our clothing. But then I remember doing three rounds because as you're going through, it's like your worldview is starting to change, not just like how many things you own. And so like, you know what I mean? I remember going back to do a second round, especially on some of the like things where it was more emotional for me, like clothing, and then a third round, because like you start to get, so you get on a roll, and once you adopt that worldview, and once you start to ben- like really benefit just at a selfish level, more joy, more generosity, less anxiety, more time, it's like once these benefits start to show up in your life, and your schedule, and your budget, and your heart, it's like you become more passionate about it. So yeah, I feel like I went through that kind of three to nine month journey three times, and now it's just kind of more maintenance or when we move kind of thing. Yeah, I, uh, I, I would agree. Uh, same thing for us. Like first it was initial sweeps through the different rooms. And then it was like, Hey, this is great owning less stuff. I bet there's more that I can get rid of. Um, and then exactly. there was even a later, and then there was a later stage of, I, I wonder how I can like challenge my assumptions on some of these things. And do I really need this much clothing in my closet? Do I, do I really need this much 
this many decorations or whatever it might be. But um, all that to say, I, I don't want to overwhelm people with with that because you're right. Because sometimes it is, and for most people, I think it just starts with, hey, let's just go room by room and let's just get rid of some of the things that that I don't need. Um, a, a lot of people, when they hear about minimalism, when they hear about decluttering and they know they need some of it in their life, um, they will typically think of the hardest space or the hardest thing that they would ever have to get rid of. And so they'll think of their basement, which has years and years of stuff, or they think of the the storage unit, or they think of their shelves full of books. And um, I, I try to encourage people, don't go start in the hardest area of your home. Like I could have spent an hour and a half in my garage and seen no benefit whatsoever, but I could spend an hour and a half in my living room and probably finish the entire area and begin to feel what difference it makes in my life. And so uh, the Becker method, thank you for calling it that. I should trademark that, huh? What do I ask? I put a T. I know. I read that. I thought I need the Comer method for something. It yeah, just right. sounds fantastic. <laughs> um, the uh, the the method number one, like I would encourage people to know why they want to do it. Like, why do I want to own less? I I, I want to spend more time with my kids. I, I want to get ahead financially. I, I I want my home to be easier to clean. Whatever it, whatever. Even if I want to travel more, like decide decide that owning less isn't the goal. There's there's a promise. Behind yeah, it's the a goal. means to an end, um, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then, second, just uh, just start easy. Like, go start in the easiest room um, that you live in that you can finish. Um, for most people, it's the living room. Uh, it might be a bedroom for someone else if they live in an apartment and everything ends up in the living room. But, but just go find a room that you live in, spend time in, and finish it completely. Uh, get rid of the things that you don't need out of that room, and then just sit down and you will feel a difference in your shoulders and in your mind of when you when there are fewer things around and how calming and peaceful it can be. Uh, and then you use that feeling and you go to the next room, the next hardest room and finish that one. And then the next hardest room and the next hardest room. And yeah, like you said earlier, I started in my car and that's a great place for people to start um, because you can usually accomplish it in not too long and you can feel the difference the next time you sit down in it. That's killer. Um, that's super helpful. What advice would you give before we wrap up to couples and families? You know, what about when one couple is like, I want to become a minimalist or I want to simplify my life as a follower of Jesus and I want to de-own 80% of our possessions. And the other is like, uh, no, I want to get a three-car garage or whatever. And you have that tension in a marriage or you know, children for sure is an acute kind of, ooh, wow, they're at their own level of psychological development. Any advice for how to navigate that as a couple or with roommates or with kids? Yeah, well, that's an easy one. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's sarcasm. Not... <laughs> Sorry. You have sarcasm in Arizona too. Great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's the hardest of, of all the questions, um, really. And I, I think it comes down to, uh, first and foremost, 
if if you have a, a partner, if you have a spouse and they are not on board with what you're trying to do, I think usually there's some agreement. They just disagree on how much to get rid of. But if if that's the case or if there's no disagreement whatsoever, people don't necessarily want to hear this. But like you've got to do your own stuff first and you you have to set the example. I, I mean, it's not number one, it's not fair for you to hear about minimalism and think that it's something you need in your life and then go home and make your spouse get rid of all their stuff or make your kids get rid of all their stuff. Like you have to go first. Uh, You have to set that example. Um, The other reason you have to go first is it's always easier to see everyone else's clutter than it is to see your own. Uh, And it is, it's easy to say, my husband has all this stuff that he doesn't need but most likely he's saying the exact same thing about you. <laughs> about you. Um, so, so start with your own yeah. stuff. Bring, bring in patience and love and humility and faithfulness. Know that this process is about bringing you closer together as a family, not tearing you apart. Um, know that you're not perfect. I'm sure there's something that your spouse has been wanting to change about you all these years and you're not budging on. So keep that, uh, keep that in mind as well. And sometimes it happens right away. Um, sometimes it takes a long time, but eventually I'm, I'm pretty convinced that the benefits of uh, owning less eventually win out in the long run. That's so great and so helpful. And, you know, it's a process. And I'm as a church where, you know, we're trying to do it like in a month, which is kind of a joke. You know, it takes to do this at a deep level takes, you know, months of your life, depending on how much you own. Easier if you're like a single person in a studio bedroom apartment, you could do it in a couple of weeks. But for most people, it's a longer process. And one of the things that's so surprising to me before we end here is how emotional of a process it is. And I think one of the the gift to me, even as a follower of Jesus, was just the kind of a new level of self-awareness of just how emotionally attached I am to my things and how irrational some of that attachment is. And, you know, I think in a biblical theology of materialism put into a very truncated version, it's an attempt to fill an inner void with the creation that really can only be filled by the creator and this deeper desire for relationship and intimacy and love and acceptance and meaning and purpose and spirituality, you know, and, and community. And so, you know, do you have like a question like Marie Kondo has the famous hold every item in your house and ask, does this spark joy? Others have the question, does this add value? Do you have like a, a question or an emotional kind of, we call them noticings at Bridgetown church, like just notice, just pay attention to your heart as you do this, that, or the other. Do you have any advice for how people should kind of navigate that surprisingly emotional relationship that we have this this bond and most of the time a very unhealthy bond and attachment to or idolatry in christian spiritual language that we have to our staff um yeah i i don't know if i have a a short question for you um but man our discontent is evidenced in our excess um is how i say it when when you are discontent and you don't have financial means, then, then it looks like greed. You know, it looks like envy and jealousy. Um, uh, but when you are discontent, but you have the financial means, then it looks like overflowing closets, 
and drawers and garages mm. that we can't park in or an extra storage unit where we're storing our stuff because we're discontent. We think that thing is going to solve it and fill that void. So we go buy it and we bring it home. We realize it doesn't fill the void. And so we just go buy something else and we, and we just keep buying, trying to fill that void rather than um, sitting in that discontent and, and discovering where I'm going to find real fulfillment in it. Um, concerning the uh, emotional attachment to stuff, I don't know if I have a great question other than I would just keep asking myself, why is this so hard for me to get rid of? And, hmm. and sit in that question a little bit because a lot of people, when they get there, they stop this process and they say, oh, I could never part with these things. I could never part with that. I could never go through this collection. And so they, they just stop. But that's really where the, the greatest value is about to, to break through and, and push through. And, and we sit in that and we think, you know what, I'm, I'm looking for security in these things. Or, you know what, that was a season of life that was hard for me to go through and I'm, I'm shutting it out by not going through the things. Or on the flip side, that was a past season of life that I loved so much and wish I was still there. And so I'm bringing all the possessions forward with me. Um, or, um, you know what, I, I, I just bought this because I, it was on sale and I had the money and everyone else was wearing it. And so I, I bought it and I, man, of all the life spiritual lessons that I learned, um, through this process, maybe the fact that I was far more attached to the world than I ever thought I was, um, hmm. which I think is, which I think was John the Baptist point. Um, when the, when the people came out to meet him and said, what do we have to do, um, to get ready for Jesus? And he says, get rid of your extra coats, be content yes. with what you have, get rid of your extra food. And I, I think that, that what John the Baptist was trying to spur up in people's hearts was, man, I'm more attached to this world than I ever thought. Um, and it's only when I begin to overcome that attachment, uh, do I open up my heart to all that that Christ wants to do and wants to be and, and wants to fill, um, in my life and soul. Joshua, that is just gold. Thank you for that. As we wrap up this first session, um, where can people find more of your work and where do you recommend people start with your work? Is it just reading your blog posts or, uh, one of your books? Tell us where we can chase you down. Oh, I would send people to becomingminimalist.com. Uh, that's home base for me. Uh, everything I do um, runs through there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a 12-year-old blog, and you can click on archives, and you can find a whole lot to read there, and you can search wow. for anything specific that you want help on. Uh, I think if you can find everything you need um, right there, then there's no need to to buy anything. Uh, if you want something a little more organized and put together, the, the more of less um, might cut down a lot of time um, and might present things in a bit more um, organized fashion in terms of why minimalism and why to be convinced of it. Uh, and then yeah. the minimalist home is much more how to do it. So if the more of less is why, um, the minimalist home is how to actually do this and begin applying those principles, which um, someone may need or someone may uh, may not need. 
Yeah, and I would agree. If you're still kind of warming up to the idea of simplicity or minimalism or de-owning, then I would recommend the more of less because it's just such a compelling case for the why. By the end, you want to get rid of your stuff. And if you're like, no, I'm in. I just need like tips and techniques to know like how to do it and what do I do with you know photo albums and that stuffed animal from when I was a kid or whatever, then just jump right to the minimalist home. Um, that's just a great a great way to do it. Well, hey, well can done. I, can I just, I, yeah. can, I just want to jump in real quick. I, I love that you're doing a month of this. Uh, like there are a, a lot of times where I've gone to a church and spoken one Sunday and then they're on to something else the next Sunday. And while you may say, hey, a month isn't long enough to embrace all of this completely, I do think that a month is long enough to be drawn to it and to see why it's important to the point where you would say, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to figure out how to make this a part of my unique life, um, simplicity in all the different areas that you guys are talking about. So I, I think a month is, is brilliant, by the way. Oh, well, that makes me feel a lot better. Thank you. And we're just so, you know, as we end, so grateful for you and your, your work as kind of a pioneer. You know, our teaching series is kind of most teachings, you know, as I'm writing them up, have kind of a, a three-part flow Part one is a biblical theology or what Jesus and the writers of the New Testament have to say about money and our relationship to money and possessions and generosity and justice. Part two is the practice or the spiritual discipline of simplicity down through, you know, two plus millennia of church history. And then part three is kind of best practices from the minimalist movement, which is really over the last decade and plus 12 years for your blog. How do we actually do this in an American context, in a home where people are used to having, you know, a Vitamix or a toaster or this many, you know, pairs of sheets or towels or whatever it is. And so that's where your work is just invaluable to take, you know, to go from Luke chapter 12, life does not consist of the abundance of possessions, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, to here's how you simplify your garage or, you know, your guest bedroom. That's just money. Thanks. So we're really grateful for your work. Thank you for your time. Uh, becomingminimalist.com is the blog, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Bridgetown Church Podcast. And we hope to come back with a few short sessions with Joshua Becker, kind of area by area through your home. 